Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. After a little break, I am back and back with a bang, shall we say. And this, I'm really, really excited to introduce uh, you to my next guest because when I set this podcast up, I really wanted to create something that would be valuable to anybody in marketing, particularly CMOs. It's a very, very tough job. And the last year has certainly thrown its fair share of challenges to anyone in marketing and especially in, in that CMO position. So I was fascinated when I saw a new report come out from Clear MNC Saatchi looking at the changing role of the CMO in the last year. And I think you'll find when you, uh, when you listen to this interview, there are both fascinating insights, but also uh, lots and lots of reasons to be encouraged. We've heard a lot about the declining influence of the CMO in the board. We know how the average tenure of a CMO has been reducing and how the role is being fragmented and split up across different disciplines. But actually, this would suggest that the crisis we've experienced the last year has actually put CMOs in the hot seat and boosted quite dramatically the influence they have in the board. Um, so it's probably never, ever been a better time to be a CMO. And while it might feel uncomfortable coping with the amount of change and the challenges that have been thrown to us over the last year, this does provide marketing with a wonderful opportunity to put marketing back at the heart of business strategy. And that's why I found this research so fascinating. So I'm really pleased to introduce you to Damien Simmons, who's the CEO of Clear MNC Saatchi that ran this study. He has got some fascinating, fascinating insights about how CMOs have responded in the last year, particularly looking at the interaction between the CEO and what keeps the CEO up at night versus the CMO, and also why CMOs are becoming more and more influential in business decision making, but actually there's a disconnect and there's a disconnect between the strategy and the actions required to make it happen, which I thought was very interesting. We also talked about why CMOs need to be held to account and the importance of ROI and measuring effectiveness uh, and how critical that is now more than ever. Damien also shares with us the four-point plan that he's come up with based on this insight that every marketing team should be uh, adopting. So. Listen, you're going to enjoy this. This is genuinely really, really insightful conversation, hugely timely and also very, very relevant to anyone in marketing and anyone doing the CMO role. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Damien Simmons. So welcome, Damien. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. This might be the stupidest question ever to open with, but I'll ask it anyway. So why do a report on a crisis? John, the, the obvious answer here is obviously COVID, but it's worth noting that the, the concept of chaos and the existence of chaos and the need for clarity existed way before we had COVID. Mm. It's not a new thing. We at Clear have always been fascinated by chaos and confusion because there's nothing more rewarding than being able to help your clients navigate through that chaos and find solutions. So... No question, COVID's made things worse, it's made things harder, it's muddied the waters a lot, but this isn't a new idea. This has been a, mm. a study a long time in the making. And how did you approach it? So who did you speak to? How many people have you spoken to? How, how did you conduct this survey? Sure, it's pretty simple and, and it's robust. 700 interviews with CMOs, CEOs across five different markets. That's the UK, US, Germany, Singapore, and China. Those were quantitatively analyzed. So we've got heaps mm -hmm. of data to be able to cut and dice and slice as we need to. That data was also supplemented by some targeted qual interviews with key clients and leadership across the MNC Saatchi group. The sort of subjects covered were what keeps them up at night? How do they prioritize? What do they think is working well, not so well? All of those kind of knotty topics 
that are really mm. interesting for those particular, particular leadership groups. And then off the back of that, as you'd expect, there's deep analysis on different responses of different functions so that we can get to the really interesting stuff around disconnects between CEOs and CEOs. That's the really mm. juicy stuff that's contained within the report. Yeah. I, I found it both surprising and also encouraging, actually. I wasn't expecting to be as encouraged by the role of the CMO. If I think that there's been a lot of talk about the ten, average tenure of a CMO has been reducing, the CMO's influence on in the board is less, the number of CMOs that make it to CEO positions, that, that there's been a lot of negative news about the CMO role and the influence the CMO has on the organisation the board. But actually, maybe the crisis in the last year has actually done us a favour because I was quite shocked by quite the, the, the difference that you show in terms of influence of the CMO in the organization compared to before was quite stark. Yeah, it's definitely growing. And that's not the, just the marketing community that believes it's growing in influence. The CEO believes that marketing is growing in influence. And there is a reason for that, which is in, in a single word is change. So mm. never before, because of COVID, but not exclusively because of COVID, but never before have we seen such change among mm. consumer expectations, behaviours, needs, attitudes, what they expect from brands. We can see consumers flipping and switching to, to new services and new products faster than they've ever done before. So because of that, what happens is a better need and a greater need for insight. And the guardians of insight is the marketing community and ultimately the CMO. It's not only about the insight, it's about what you do with it. It's about how do you start to develop new brand experiences that are relevant and connect to today's changing consumer. And I think whether you're in the marketing community or whether you're a CEO, I think you recognise that. And therefore, mm. I think it's right that the, that the influence of marketing is growing in the boardroom. And could you give us some of the, the stats behind it as well? Because they were quite powerful, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's in terms of the, the marketing community... Just over half of the marketing community recognise that they're having more influence. But the really interesting bit is with the CEOs, where mm. the CEOs, I think it's 70, 75% of CEOs are saying, now marketing are having a bigger influence on the core strategy than they've ever had before. Yeah, I, I think that's incredibly powerful because whenever you mark your own homework, you tend to give yourself a good score, don't you? But it's when others are marking your homework and giving you a good score that you're really making an impact. So that's brilliant. And I think it, it struck a chord with me. I, I, an, a, an old boss of mine used to have had this phrase, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan, which I used to love. In any, in any crisis, everyone quickly washed their hands of any responsibility. And I know I went through a really tough uh, period when I was at CMO at LucasAid where we had to go through sugar tax and reformulate and uh, we got a massive backlash. And, and I remember quite, it was quite profound actually that the moment when the CEO said, this is a marketing problem. And whereas before when we were, were succeeding, it was everyone's, the, the factory, the sales team, logistics, well done everybody. And then suddenly we had a problem, it's, it's marketing's problem. And it's, oh, flipping neck. But actually what was interesting about that experience, and it, it was uncomfortable, I have to say, was it was the catalyst to really understanding my consumer much better because because what the crisis did for me personally in that moment was I had to really understand what was going on. Why were people using my products? What, who were they? What was it they didn't like about the formulation? And then I also had to work much, much more closely with other departments on reformulation, with my ad agency on coming up with a, a response to this, uh, the sales team on executing a new plan. And weirdly, it was almost the best thing ever because what the crisis did was actually get me right into the heart 
of the challenge, understand it in a way I'd never done before, but also then lead our way out of it sort of thing. So I really felt when I read your report, that's probably what a lot of CMOs are going through in the last year, that this crisis has put them front and center. It might have felt horrible to begin with, and I'm sure it did. But maybe that's why they're starting to emerge now as leaders. So in a weird sense, I think there's an exciting opportunity for CMOs to step forward through this crisis and really show the contribution that marketing makes to an organization. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, John. It's one of the crimes of marketing teams in the past have is that they've allowed this sort of perception of them to develop, which is about they're just the sort of coloring in and communications department. They're about presenting the, the organization's products or service in the best light. And that is part of what their function is, no question about that. But now it's the function to think really carefully about how do they create real utility for the consumer and for the customer in new and different ways that are relevant to a changing world. And I think that's where you start to get into really interesting conversations about now is the moment that marketing can step up and really work at the heart of the business. So it's responsible for really understanding the customer, yes, but it's responsible ultimately for driving that revenue line mm. through developing brands that are relevant, through developing products and services that create utility and experiences that really match people's behaviours. And given the change that's been going on and given some of the disruption that's been going on, that kind of function is more relevant than ever. And CEOs recognise it. Marketing, of course, has always known it, but I think they're starting to do a better job of communicating that now internally. Yeah, that is so spot on. I I think one of the frustrations any marketer faces is the perception that they just do the comms or they just do the packaging. When in fact, most of the job, and this is always, people always find it a surprise when I say that the majority of the job is not actually that. It it is the the strategy, the plan, managing the people, the finances, innovation, product development, et cetera, et cetera. It's It's one of those myths that I think is on us. But in a way, what the crisis has done, I think, is probably shone a light on the real role of marketing and allowed that to become more obvious. There's nowhere to hide, really. You can't hide behind your new comms campaign anymore because you've got to deliver results in a much shorter time or in a much more dramatic fashion. Um, I thought there was some interesting insight as well about the separation or I think you called it the alignment to the goal versus the uh, the means to achieve it. I thought there was an interesting observation there, which rang true as well. Yeah, explain a bit more about that. Yeah, there's a real disconnect going on that CMOs need to get to grips with. What we see from the study is good understanding and good alignment around goals, objectives and strategy. So it feels like at a really senior level, the organisation knows what it's doing and they know where to prioritise and they know how to push forward. However, the disconnect starts to come further down the organisation where there is a lack of understanding in a detailed way about the strategy. And therefore there's a disconnect between the strategic objectives and the actual actions that support that. Mm. And it comes from a couple of, it comes from a couple of issues, which is the first is communication. Often strategic, strategic plans are put in place and communication is, there's a big bang moment. There's a big splash moment where the organization communicates its strategic objectives. And then that's, it doesn't make a long-term plan to, communicate internally to make sure all different parts of the organization understand the strategic objectives. That's one thing. The other thing is it's just rigor and it's just hard work of making sure that the strategy is understood and activated across the different divisions and departments Mm -hmm. of the organization. So what you end up with is something that we always talk about and is a real issue for so many clients, which is an experience gap. You end up with 
the promise of an organization doing one thing that may be understood by their customers, but the actual experience is something quite different. And that really erodes equity, it erodes loyalty, and it's a real issue for organizations to get to grips with. That's very powerful. Actually, to quote my old boss a second time, (laughs) the other phrase he used to have was uh, paper never refused ink. And he always said, it, it, it's the easiest thing to write down a plan. It's the hardest thing to actually execute it. And I think yeah. a general rule of thumb is you need to overinvest a lot more than you think you do in making sure the organization is clear on the action it has to take to support the goal and, and the decisions. And the other, the other thing that becomes clear as well is the things you're not going to do as well, the choices you're going to make to enable you to do the things that will actually make a difference. And it also, it ties into another theme actually that came out in your study, which is the tension between long and short term as well. And I know this is something that I I felt through my career is it's very easy to get sucked into short-term delivery. And it sometimes feels impossible to not to, but actually that was a critical thing that came out in the report as well, the ability to balance both long and short. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, there's so there's there's so much debate about the balance between short and long, and I I actually think it's a false choice. And I say it's a false choice because you can't do the long without the short. Trading effectively on a short term actually gives you the permission to invest in some of the initiatives in the long term. That's the, the real reality. Despite that, the the concept of building plans for the long term and future proofing the business is much more alluring. So there's a, there's a certain halo effect that people, that in some ways, they value the long term more. Now, it's interesting when we look at the study, what the study reveals is CEOs are talking more about disruptive business models. They're talking more about the importance of future innovation than CMOs are. CMOs tend to be preoccupied about shorter term targets, delivery of sales numbers and all of the rest of it, as you would probably expect. And it's quite interesting that there's a paradox there because it begs a really interesting question, which is, why is the CMO focused more on the short term than the long term? And the answer actually probably sits with the CEO. Now, while the CEO at a, at a top line level talks about the importance of future proofing the business and the importance of disruptive business models, the truth is there's one person that they look at for short term delivery, and that comes back to the CMO. So I do have some sympathy with CMOs who are focusing on the, the day-to-day trading, the numbers for tomorrow, because there's a pressure that mm. they're being put under. But what they need to do in response is they need to have a very clear narrative and paint a vision around how their strategic plan is designed and balanced to deliver on both. Yes, we're gonna, we're gonna hit the numbers, we're gonna do the trading, we're gonna make some of the tough choices that involves, but we've also got a longer term plan and they need to put down the uh, very clearly the return on investment and the potential future value that the longer term plan can provide. And that's, I think, is where they're falling short. I think I don't think there's any CMO in the land that would say that they don't want to invest in the long term. Of course they do. But it's just the organisational pressure pushes them into a different place. And like I say, the real paradox is while the CEO wants to do both too, it's actually them that is creating that pressure yeah. for the CMO. Yeah. There's a really interesting tension that goes on there. That's very interesting. I, I know some of the debates I've been in in the role myself is it's some of the short-term gains we're benefiting from today are based on long-term decisions we made a while ago. And the only way out of that short-term hamster wheel is to make some really big bets and follow through on them. And then you get the benefit, whether it's a bit of product innovation or a new positioning or a new campaign or whatever. It's the only way out. Otherwise, if you stay in the short-term hamster wheel, you're forever going to be chasing and under pressure. But at some point, you've got to break that in order to lift yourself out. And then, of course, once the results come through, 
typically the CEO backs off a bit because the CEO is probably putting you under pressure because the results aren't there in the short term. And then yeah. if you can start to, it starts to deliver, confidence comes and then you buy yourself green numbers, buy, green numbers buy you freedom, as we all know. Yeah, so that's right. While we're, while we're talking about CEOs as well, what, what did this report tell us about the priorities that the CEO has and that the CMO has as a result of the past 12 months or so? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some interesting differences. There's some interesting commonalities. The differences are the, the ones you'd probably expect. So wider ranging responsibilities from the CEO. They're thinking, of course, about marketing, but they're also thinking equally about operational issues and how the organisation runs. They're thinking about operational efficiency and all sorts of issues like that, which aren't front and centre for the CMO and, and on some levels, mm. nor should they be. So there's some differences there that you would expect. In terms of commonalities, the commonalities are interesting, and it goes back to some of the conversations that we were having earlier. Both the CEO and the CMO both place real priority about understanding the customer. And that's quite interesting. I think you would, ex you would have expected the CMO to have talked about that a couple of years ago and in the past. I don't think you necessarily would have expected the CEO to talk about that. So mm. that's really interesting. And it, it just shows the world that we live in, which is there is a real understanding and knowledge gap at senior levels in organisations about how to serve the customer because the customer has different sets of behaviours, expectations and needs from products and services. There's some commonalities, there's some interesting differences. One of the interesting differences that I think the marketing community needs to focus on and do a little bit of work on is around investment and return on investment. What is you see a real budgetary concern and, and, and fiscal concern from the CEO around mm. where, they're, where they're spending money, are they getting the return on investment? How are they spreading their budgets? Are they putting their money in the right places? Less fiscal concerns coming from the CMO. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like the, the, the CMO is certainly in, in how they've expressed themselves in our studies, they're less on the hook for the financial yeah. investments that they make. They're much more on the hook actually just for driving the top line. It's all about driving the top line rather than actually managing the bottom line. And I think that is an interesting area where I think the CMO could do better in managing the perception of the profession that they're also concerned about money spent as well as money coming mm. in. That's really interesting because it comes through, doesn't it? You mentioned the question earlier about what is it that's keeping you up at night? And the top thing for CMOs was actually proving the ROI on my investment. And I, that is so important. And I think it, certainly in my experience, whenever you're in a, when things are going well, generally you're not particularly held to account because it, it's fine and we're hitting target, we're making money, it's okay. As soon as you're in a crisis, boy, every pound matters. Every decision is scrutinized and you are held far more accountable. And an example with LucasAid there, I had to find a way of being able to demonstrate how effective my marketing campaign was going to be before I got any investment. And it was scrutinized in a way that had never been scrutinized before because so much was riding on it. Everybody's careers, bonus, the long-term health of the company. And so maybe in a weird sense, what the crisis has given us is that, that that reason to really understand, do I know, like you say, firstly, do I know my customer? And secondly, do I know if this is working or not? And can yeah. I prove, you know, can I prove the return on investment? Yeah. That, that's true, but, but it's also worth acknowledging that perpetuates a problem. It is easier to demonstrate the return on investment from short-term behavior. A campaign about a specific issue, a new product launch, whatever it might be. It's, not, it's, it's never easy, but you can demonstrate the return on investment from that. When you think about more long-term activity, which are more about building the salience of the brand, building brand equity, maybe investing in some quite risky future business models for, I don't know, new service provision that doesn't exist. These things take time to develop. 
they're hard to understand the potential return on investment. The promise is that you're going to create unique utility for the consumer, but you can't prove it. So what happens is, is you get back into this cycle of the CEO looking at money spent, the COO asking difficult questions as they should do, and then that generating shorter term behavior from the CMO around where they can demonstrate that return on investment. Yeah. So you, you get back to the same you get back to the same solution, and it, it comes out really clearly in in the study that we did, which is the importance of providing a clear narrative, providing a clear evidence based story around what your future strategy should look like and how it balances with some of the short term objectives, and then you can start to try and step out of the cycle that you're in, which is short term versus long term. Some stuff you can prove, some stuff you can't prove. It's a really tricky balance for the CMO to be able to strike. And some of them are doing it. It's, it's not here suggesting that the, the entire marketing profession is focused on the short term, far from it. There's some wonderful work that's going out there in the industry. There's some wonderful best practice where you can see that the marketing community, hand in hand with the COO and organization, have made long-term bets for the future. And you've seen, you can see examples that, that they're playing mm. off paying off now. Right now in COVID, there's some really good examples of that. One example might be Disney. You can only imagine the hammering that the Disney business has taken because of COVID. You can't go to the parks. You're not going to be getting on a cruise. You're not going to be visiting the retail sites. The business has taken an absolute hammering. But having said that, a long-term decision the business took probably about six years ago, and it started with Disney Life, is how do I start to serve content directly to the consumer. It was Disney Live six years ago. Today it's Disney Plus and it's performing beyond expectations. Yeah. That is paying off for them now, exactly like you said, but actually it was a long-term decision to invest in a space that they saw as emerging probably six years ago. But again, it comes back to how do you paint that vision around how that's going to provide a return? Because in the beginning, it's just an investment, you know, with yeah. no return. So it's a really tricky balance. It is enormously tricky balance. And without referencing it too much, it comes back to my LucasAid example. I remember having to try and justify the creative investment we were making. How did I know that the new campaign was going to work in the next in the next 12 months? And this is where actually crossing over rolls a little bit for me here. But when I was working with System 1, we were able to predict the impact the creative would have on our market share, which was enormously powerful. And I remember the CFO getting really excited, going, hang on a second, are you telling me I can actually keep John accountable for his advertising? And, and he thought it was the best thing ever. What was nice about it was that because it was quantifiable, now nothing in life is perfect, but because there was a close correlation between, in this case, the System 1 creative score and uh, market share in the following 12 months, it meant that when it came to the tough decisions where we were going to cut, we were able to ring fence the advertising as we know that's going to deliver and we know that's important to our kind of medium term plan. So we'll ring fence it. We'll take cuts elsewhere where it's not productive. Yeah. But I think yeah. you're so right because because we're bombarded with performance metrics in the short term, the dangerous behavior you get into is that because you can measure it accurately, it is therefore more important. And because you can't measure as accurately some of those long-term bets, that no. it becomes less important. And that's incredible. The other thing, of course, thanks to people like Bennett and Field who are doing uh, long and the short of it, starting to provide some evidence around share of voice and the impact that's, that has also on your short term, of course, because growing your, growing your brand will also have a halo benefit on the return investment you get in the short term as yeah, well. absolutely. Which is, it all contributes, I think, to the data. So let's something that I thought was interesting as well was 
was around the team. So what the, what came through for me in terms of cross-functional working, and again, this also makes sense, doesn't it? Because when things are going well, everyone kind of sticks their own thing. But in a crisis, what you have to do is start to work together. But there was quite a difference between how, how, the, how important, the importance the CEO put on cross-functional working and the CMO as well. I thought that was quite interesting. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really interesting. The CEO expects more cross-department collaboration less silos that's that was revealed in the study it's not that the the marketing function wants to work in a silo far from it but but their desire to cross collaborate is perhaps less than the ceo would like it's a real issue and it's a real opportunity because the cmo is not really in control of everything anymore it, the, the world 25 or so years ago when i joined the sort of marketing profession the world seemed so simple Define the brand, communicate it, ensure you've got a product or service that matches the communication. Essentially, it's really simple terms. That was the function of marketing. Now it's much more complex because of the complex journeys that customers go on. So their experience isn't just the ad that they see or the product that they experience. It's the whole journey across every different touch point. And the real issue is for the CMOs, they're not in control of that experience a lot of the time. Different constituent parts of that experience have been unpacked to different departments to deliver. But the problem for the CMO is that it influences perception of the brand and influences whether people are going to transact and buy the product or service. So coming back to your original point around collaboration and the desire to work with and collaborate with different departments, it is critical for CMOs and marketing departments to have a really positive approach to this and step into the idea of collaboration mm. and maybe step out of the idea that they need to be upskilled in everything. Because there's this sort of idea that actually what we need to do with the CMO is create someone that's superhuman, someone that is digital mm. literate and they're data literate and they're creative and they're rigorous. And you know what? They're, they're actually the perfect human being. Well, actually, there's another way of doing it, which is, Act with some humility and surround yourself with people who are experts in these areas. Show fantastic leadership in bringing together best-in-class teams that collaborate to solve common problems that mm. exist within the organisation. So it almost doesn't become the marketing department versus other departments or how does the marketing department work with other departments. It actually becomes how does marketing integrate with fundamental operational elements within an organization to deliver a better customer experience. It's a real mindset shift that people need to have. And I think you can see progress and you can see best in class examples with clients and you can see some clients that have still got a way to go on that. Yeah. I, I think that, do you know what? I think that's very profound actually. And you're right because the, the CMO has got the greatest, probably of any of the C-suite, the greatest influence on the whole organization, whether it's the strategy, coming up with product innovation, route to market, the brand perception, customer service, whatever. It is so fundamental to so many things. And whereas lots of other functions, you have functional expertise. If you're in finance, obviously you're the smartest person adding up. Or if you're in sales, you're brilliant to execution in the customer relationship. But you're right, the CMO and the marketing function, it does run across it. And, and I think yeah, the other thing as well that I, I've noticed is that successful CMOs are not necessarily the best marketers, but they're the best leaders and they're the best people at yeah. influencing and coordinating resource across a whole organization. And I think that's the opportunity that well, good CMOs will do it anyway. 
But what the crisis, what a crisis will do is force everybody into that space because we ain't going to get through this crisis unless we start to join the dots together and, and, and do things differently. So I think I, that's a really, I think it's yeah. a really profound insight. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's not, yes, of course, marketing departments need technical skills and a broad range of capabilities, but it's really important that there's a clear narrative, storytelling, mm bringing different constituent parts of the organization along the journey so they understand what they're contributing to, why the operational functions are critical to delivering a, a wonderful customer experience. Those are, those are the different factors that I think really make the difference. Yeah. You're so, I remember actually a, a, a few years ago, I probably had three big crisis moments in my career. One of them was I, I was running a small juice business in the Midlands uh, as part of a sort of management buy-in, and we, we do we invest in in a new in upgrading the factory, in new branding, uh, new formulations. It, it was our big launch, and it was a, a hot summer, and we had a mold infection on the production line, and we just won a whole lot of new customers. And at the very moment where our sales should have been off the scale, we couldn't supply the market for like six weeks, and we had to investigate what went wrong and, and so on. And, and, and it, it was horrible. It was gut-wrenchingly horrible in, in that kind of feeling sick, going to work, thinking, what have I done? Not what necessarily what have I done, but what have I missed or whatever. But again, like the Luke said example, actually, the, what I then had to do to get to the bottom of the problem, understand it, understand factory production, logistics, deal with customer service who were screaming because no one could get stock in the hottest summer for 10 years or whatever it was then. And then build the business back and bring everyone along that journey who were seeing, were seeing the business disappear in front of them. And you realize in those moments that if you don't step up, then no one else is going to do it for you. And, and, and everyone else is looking to you to go, how do we get out of this, John? What, what do we do? And I think that's where you quite rightly said the storytelling, the coordination of resources, put, put, putting the plan together, is that's such a powerful role for the CMO to take and, and, and can be transformational to a business. So, so talk, talking about team as well, the, the other thing that I, I thought was an interesting observation that came through in your data, which would be a worry, actually, is the lack of nurturing talent coming through as well. And there was a nice little cartoon from the cartoonist, marketoonist rather, showing the kind of conveyor belt dropping off a cliff, which is quite funny. But why do you think, if this is true, of course, why do you think marketing departments are not, or CMOs are not good at nurturing talent and succession planning? Yeah, there's a... There is a stat in the survey and it is terrifying. You know, just to be clear, it's not that marketing functions don't care about talent. They don't value talent. That's not the case. It's just that it's a lower priority, significantly a lower priority to other things. And on one level, that can't surprise you because every organization talks about being customer obsessed and, and that the customer is king and that we need the capability to deliver against that. We need to understand and learn how to deliver new experiences in, in ways that customers expect, and so on and so forth. It's the dominant narrative that comes out of marketing. And that's right that it comes out of marketing. But the problem is, something that gets lost is the importance of talent in being able to deliver that in the first place. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's that there's anything sinister going on in the sense of marketing don't care about people, but it's just been lost a little bit. And I think that is quite mm. revealing in, in the study that we did. And yet, while it's being lost, it's more important than ever. Because mm. we've talked about the pressure in the marketing community to have a broader set of capabilities and a changing set of capabilities. The capabilities that they have today will not be the same as the capabilities that they'll need in two or three years' time. We know that. So that's a talent question. 
we've also talked about actually it's not just about technical capabilities it's about leadership abilities too about how do you have the ability to coordinate and inspire different constituent parts of the organization so it is a terrifying statistic it's a bit of a warning shot to the industry about how important it is to nurture talent there's also some structural reasons that are eroding the equity and the perception of the marketing community too and that's around we talked about this issue of experience around this big sort of scary word of experience means that in some ways from a marketing community standpoint it feels like their responsibilities have, have been eroded it feels like they are responsible for outcomes, but they're not ultimately accountable for the decisions and the investments that are made in delivering them. So again, it, it, it comes back to the same thing and we've talked about it, which is it comes back to the CMO, it comes back to leadership, it comes back to painting that vision, and it comes back to bringing people on the journey with you about what you're trying yeah. to achieve, why you're important, and recognizing the importance of talent in delivering that. Yeah. But I think your report made a nice link, which is the world is getting more complex, the media fragmentation, technological advances, and so on. Uh, that's the exact reason why, as a senior marketer, you want to be bringing in talent that understands and can anticipate what all that means. Listen, obviously, you're called Clear MNC Saatchi. So I imagine that what you're on God's earth to do is give clients some clear strategy and a clear way yeah. forward through chaos. Uh, and that's obviously what inspired the report, which I thought was brilliant and thoroughly recommend it there's a lot of great insight in there so tell me what the action plan looks like then i think when clients are as, as they invariably are are faced with overwhelming or seemingly overwhelming chaos in their lives and, and they're not clear about where they should focus and where growth is going to come from i think the first thing is that they need to do is is map out all of the factors that are influencing the business today and in the future so these could be the big sort of hairy and scary macro trends of factors that are in the distant future that they know are coming right down to some of the more micro sort of factors that are influencing day-to-day -day trading what they need to do is map them all out and then start to think about how they prioritize some of those different factors so you can use a model such as the one that we've outlined in the report should be pretty helpful but the important thing is that they prioritize opportunities based on a couple of things one is the significance of them are they big factors or are they small factors or average size the other one is is mapping them over their ability to influence them, because not everything you can influence, of course, mm. but some of the factors they'll be uniquely placed to influence. And then this is the really important thing that comes back to a lot of what we were saying, is mapping the different priorities based on short, medium, and long-term. And by doing that, the client can start to, to have a really clear view about how do they get a good balance between day-to-day -day strong trading, which they need to deliver back to the business, versus more disruptive ideas, innovations, and thinking that is going to pay back in the future. Then the third thing that the client needs to do is think about how they enable growth. And that's when they start to work through the detail of unlocking growth through what are the implications on the brand? What are the implications on innovation products and services and experience? And then the fourth thing is just being realistic that if 2022 hasn't taught us anything, you know, it should have taught us that things change and they, clients need to stay agile. They need to be flexible. They need to understand that grand plan that they put in place is going to change and accept that it's going to change. And that's okay. And that's part of the process. So all clients should be prepared to revisit the plan, revisit the priorities, take a check, take a sense check about what's changed, how they need to pivot, change direction, reprioritize, and then go again, because that's just part of business. Nothing's going to stay the same. 
it was really interesting to see over the last year those brands that responded to the change in circumstances and those that didn't and, and, and how it accelerated some businesses as well in a way that it didn't before. So I think that the strategy is only as good as, as, as well, with all these things, it's how you respond. But if you thought about it in advance, and also if you've made the investments in advance, then you're able to respond. I know at System One, we had um, done this amazing bit of work. My colleague Orlando had written about the features in advertising that, that work and don't work out in fact and he just launched the book and then covid happened and he was able to retest the do the same test that had informed the the research after covid which was amazing and then he was able to say what does this mean and and then yeah. how should brands respond in advertising which is brilliant but bless him he moved very quickly to do that piece of work and it gave a an incredible incredible insight into advertising post covid which was of huge value to lots of businesses that that system one hadn't been talking to before which is which is great so yeah how you respond is key isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely so if, if people want to get hold of the report how do they do that probably the easiest way is to go to the website www.clearstrategy.com and if people are listening to this and they want some help what can you offer in terms of support to brands or advertisers so we can offer some support in a number of different ways the first is prioritizing so thinking about and organizing some of the different factors that are affecting change now and in the future, we can make coherent sense of that and help the client um, understand their priorities around the different spaces and opportunities that will drive growth in the future. That's the first thing. Second thing is once those opportunities are identified is start to think through strategically, what are the implications on brand innovation and experience? So we can start right. to work through actually how do we deliver a better experience through the assets and the brands that we've got in, to enable advantage. And then we can start to think about the real specifics of as things invariably change, how do the plans need to change? How do they need to evolve so it stays relevant in the changing world that we live in? Cool. Great. Nice, tight, clear plan. Excellent. Damien, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the Uncensored CMO. I really appreciate it. Now, do me a favor, please do leave me a review. Do subscribe as well so you get notified for any upcoming podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.